Welcome to another exciting podcast brought to you by Bayside Christian Church. In the best place we could possibly be right now, God is so, so good. I just love the, the words of those songs. They're just so impacting, so powerful. Tonight I want to talk about our Goliaths and they must fall. <laughs> our Goliaths must fall. Why? Because our victory brings glory to God. Our freedom brings glory to God. We're going to look at um, 1 Samuel 17. I'm just going to jump straight in here. And Goliath, so who was Goliath? Goliath was a champion fighter who was nine feet tall. Nine feet tall is like three metres. Who do we have here? Tim. (laughs) Tim is two metres and two. Can you come up here, mate? And what about Jordan? Come on, Jordan. Come on down. Now, I know that... um, Tim is not as tall as Goliath. He's two metres. <laughs> and with another metre, this is a roughly how tall Goliath would have been. <laughs> now, Jordan's not a short guy, so you can see that uh, there's quite a bit of difference there. And, uh, and, of course, we know that David actually won and that uh, the battle, there was no competition because he was not fighting in his own physical strength and stature. No, let's not do that. (laughs) Thank you, guys. So, hey, come on, let's give them a hand. They come up here and stood there. Thank you. So Goliath was actually a big bully. He was an enemy from the Philistine camp. He came and he taunted and humiliated the children of Israel. And actually, he was defiling the name of God. He was defying God. He thought he was so big and so huge and such a champion killer that nobody could ever take him out. And, and so this, he, this went on. There was a bit of a stalemate. The children of Israel were on one hill and, uh, and then there was all the Philistines on the other. And every morning Goliath would come down and he would yell insults and abuse and, and how, how scared and how, how weak and how pathetic um, the Israelites were. And they basic, he basically tempted them and said, if one of you can fight me and defeat me, then we'll all surrender to you. But if I fight your champion and you lose, you come and be our, our slaves. You, you lose. And so this was, it was quite serious. And, and the king had even promised riches and no taxes and even the hand of his daughter in marriage. It's a good read. You should go through 1 Samuel 17. It starts... In um, chapter 1, it goes all the way through, in verse 1, I should say, and goes all the way um, through. So then David arrives. He arrives and he hears the, uh, the taunts. The whole army was terrified. They had been so humiliated. For, this has gone on for days and days. The same deal every day. Come down, yell abuse. Nobody come to fight him so they'd all pack up and go home for the day. And they're all dressed up in their armour. And this stalemate was really humiliating. David arrives and sees it for what it really is. He calls him, he says, who is this uncircumcised brute? Calling him that meant that he, to the children of Israel, circumcision 
um, was a sign that they were in covenant relationship with the true and living God. And so this guy wasn't. And here he was defiling the name of God and in fact laughing at his power over him. Goliath was relying solely on his size and his strength and his ability. But David, on the other hand, knew God. And he knew that he was in relationship, covenant relationship with him. Um, And ever since he was a young boy, and it's his faith, not his size and strength and battle ability, but his, his trust and faith was in God. And he knew that he loved him. And he was the one that would write the Psalms and he worshipped and played. And as he was minding his sheep out in the fields, he developed this relationship with God. As that he was a young um, man, he was ruddy and handsome and rugged from being out in the fields. But he was still only a very young man, about 17 at the time that this um, confrontation took place. So then um, he knew that there was really no competition between um, this giant hairy man and God, that, that God was going to win one, uh, one way or the, or the other. Yes, David had perfected his skills and uh, he had battled, and, and, but his strengths again were not just in his skill with a sling but, and his hunting skills, but his, in his relationship with God that gave him the edge that gave him the strength. So in 1 Samuel 17 and 45, this is what David, Goliath was disgusted that the best they could do was a little boy, it seemed like a boy coming towards him with a stick and some stones in his hands, something in his hands. And, uh, and he, was, he was really, you know, riled by this and said that he was going to tear him to pieces. David said to Goliath, you come against me with your sword, your javelin and your spear, which, by the way, had to be carried by other people. It was so huge. So he had a little guy that would run in front of him with this massive big shield and, and you know, those, they were just his armour itself was so big and heavy. You come against me with this javelin and sword and spear, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, whom you have defiled. Today, the Lord will hand you over to me and I will strike you down and cut off your head. That that's because David knew that God was fighting for him. And you read the story and that's exactly what happened. Um, and he took... These steps of faith, he collected five smooth stones to bring Goliath down. And he used his skills that he knew that he had developed um, but, and in the covenant relationship of God gave him the faith, gave him the edge. And um, as he, he aimed that, that, uh, that sling and that stone, Goliath was covered with armour from head to toe. There was only one little vulnerable bit in his helmet, there was a small gap just in the top of his head. And as he aimed this sling and this, this stone, let this stone go, it, was, it hit him like a bullet in his head and it, and it took him down. Just I can imagine him going down on his knees and then bang, down. And, and this, what we see in, the, in this physical story, in the, in the physical, in the natural, we fight in the spirit. This isn't, we don't fight flesh and blood. <laughs> we don't fight people. We fight 
um, in, with the spiritual armor of God in a in a in a, a warfare that is unseen in the spiritual realm with the weapons that Christ, uh, the, uh, the victory Christ has won for us and our spiritual weapon and armory. <clears throat> now, tonight I believe we all have giants in our lives, things that need to fall, that need to come down. Why don't you say with me, my giant will fall. My giant will fall. Amen? Yeah. <laughs> Amen. So let's have a look at some of these giants that, uh, that come against us. What about the giant of anxiety? The giant of fear? What about rejection? The giant of anger? And the giant of comfort? That's an interesting one. Whatever is challenging or, in, or intimidating you must fall. Our Goliaths will fall. Because our victory brings glory to God. Amen. Um, brings glory to God. Now, we all face these giants, but they aren't big, hairy men who yell abuse at us in the morning, every morning, from our, through our bedroom windows. <clears throat> at least I hope not. <clears throat> but often these giants do yell at us in the quietness of our thoughts when we look in the mirror at ourselves in the morning. These silent would-be assassins <laughs> that yell abuse at us and to try to undermine our confidence and take away our strength. This is what must fall and come under the lordship of Jesus Christ. We don't have to fight our giants alone because Jesus has already won the victory for us on the cross. Have a look at this. Colossians 2, verses 13 to 15. If you've got it there quickly. In the, I've got the NIV. When we were dead in our sins and in the uncircumcision of our flesh, remember I said that signifies covenant relationship with God. We were outside of relationship with God. God made us alive in Christ. He forgave us of our sins Having cancelled the charge, the legal um, indebtedness that stood against us and condemned us, he took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> triumphing over, yes. A triumphing over them by the cross, giving us the victory, bringing us into relationship with him. He is, we are working in partnership with him. He is helping us to grow through our relationship with him. We are honing these skills as we exercise faith, as we take steps towards bringing down these giants that would try, you, you will have others. There will be many others. I've just named but a few. But most of us struggle with the same thing, surprisingly enough. <laughs> the devil's got nothing new. <laughs> he uses the same old dirty tricks, one generation after the next. But thank God, our Goliaths <laughs> must fall. <laughs> Amen. Why? Because our freedom brings glory to God. 
We grow in our understanding love for him when we take these steps of faith in difficult circumstances. Let's have a look at one of these more unusual um, giants, comfort. Now, most people wouldn't think that comfort is a giant that has to fall. <laughs> but you have a listen. This, um, this is how comfort can be an, an, a giant that can undermine um, your strength. If you choose a good thing but miss out on the God thing. If you slip into the thinking that it's my life, I'll do what I want with it. Comfort sneaks in. Whatever makes me happy, because, hey, I deserve it. If comfort is sought ahead of everything else, including our desire to be available to God, the idea that I can serve God in this area and on these days, but then I can do what I like with the rest of my time. Can you see how subtle it can be? And it's very much what we're sold on the through the social through um, advertisement. They they sell this as you're right that uh, that you deserve it. You deserve the upgrade. You your your comfort is number one. It's the number one priority of your life. But there's a danger in comfort because it appears to be a good thing. The danger of comfort is evident when we self-comfort or self-medicate to dull the pain of life. And we're looking at things that have happened, horrible things happen to good people. I've seen it. And then they start to look for something to medicate, to comfort, whether it's um, an addiction that, that's obviously a very real trap or muscle things like going from relationship to relationship or shopping, you know, giving their old credit card a workout. They all have a cumulative problem. You'll, it will follow you. <laughs> you know, somebody will come chasing you for that bill. Some, you know, eventually relationships that, you know, your heart just can't handle another break, another another broken relationship. These things begin to accumulate. But instead of coming to God to restore our soul and to comfort us, we can go looking for other things. There's another way that comfort. When we step in, we grow. Comfort, the giant of comfort can tempt us to live some of our life in an emotional standby. It's like, you know, your computer's on standby. It's switched on, but it's not doing anything. It's not working. It's not contributing anything. And so it takes, it, you have to move it around, move the mouse around, you know, to, to activate, to get something working. Sometimes I've watched people do this. They're, they're, they, the, the giant of comfort has got them so bluffed that they're going to run out of energy, they're going to run out of emotional energy, that they end up just um, living in a, in a permanent state of standby, just not committing to anyone or anything, guarding, really guarding their heart in, in not the right way. <laughs> and it actually is like a little wall. We sang about walls tonight. And the thing about when we build a wall to protect ourselves, that it actually becomes a little prison. And, and it feels good at the time. It feels safe to just put another little brick there, another little brick there, 
and 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 then you you end up becoming a little prisoner, a prisoner within your own wall of comfort. I just um, I believe that this this is something that we all struggle with. I'm I am this is one of mine. I uh, I remember. Um, I went into hospital just before Christmas and I had um, a procedure and I went to Brisbane and, and to the big Green Slopes Hospital and, and I thought, oh, this will be great, you know, nice, best of, nice big rooms and everything and I get there and the hospital is like no room in the inn. I had to wait in recovery for hours until they could find me a bed and then I get there and I'm in a dementia ward. <laughs> Well, not quite. There were three elderly ladies in there and, and two of them had dementia and the other one, who was probably younger than me, was sitting on her bed with a doll and her thumb, finger and her thumb, like, like this and socks and, and just, you know, looking a little bit strange. And, and so I thought, okay. And then uh, 10 o'clock they switched the lights off and then I, I was exhausted by the end of of this day and uh, and I thought okay let's go to sleep and the old lady with dementia beside me was like I want to get out of bed where's my where's want to sit in my chair why is it so dark in here Ness, 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 and started like this and I'm like oh. and the, and then the little the woman across the the, the row with the teddy bear at the, the doll and the, it's like you can't get out of bed it's night time and so <laughs> and then this other woman chimes in <laughs> and then I, this went on all night I'm not kidding all night come about four o'clock in the morning I've rung the buzzer so many times the nurse had come and gone. They put the late, no, you can put the sides of the bed up. You can't climb out. You'll fall and break your hip. And, and I, I kept saying, why don't you give her a little sleeping pill or something, you know, just a, a little something. Oh, no, 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 we don't, um, that's medically restraining people. We don't do that anymore. I'm like, ah. Oh. Okay. So I get back into bed. And um, umpteen times I'm trying to help these ladies, don't fall, don't just stay in bed. And then, um, anyway, then just in time for the next change of shift and they come around, we all just doze off. I hear the old lady, <laughs> like this. And then they come and put the, the cuff on me and wake me up and then the, the meal trolley, then the guy with the vacuum and that, it just goes on and on and on. And I said to the Lord, Really? This is the best you can do for me. And he said to me, <laughs> straight back, he just said, your comfort is not my number one priority in this room. And I went, oh, really? And he said, have a look around you. These are all my daughters. And have a good look. Look at their faces. Because I was getting a little ticked at this stage. I was getting a little bit annoyed that I'd had no sleep and, and uh, I'd had a procedure and I was needing rest. And, and so I did. And as the, the days, I was in there for a couple of days and they were in there for weeks, I think. But, um, so we, I got to know these ladies and my whole attitude changed. My number one priority was sleep, my comfort and, you know, peace and quiet. 
And the Lord wasn't being hard on me. I just needed to change my attitude. And once I did, everything changed. And I felt a heap better. And, uh, and they slept all day and I was awake all day. <laughs> but you can see how the giant of comfort can come in like that. <clears throat> um, you know, there's, there's the scripture that I read this morning from Psalm, uh, Psalm 23, how you lead me along still waters, a place of refreshment and rest. This is where he leads us. When we come to him for the renewal of our soul, for our rest, for our comfort, then it, it does more than just a physical refreshing. It refreshes your soul. It refreshes the part of you that, that no shopping trip will ever feel, no relationship, no medical, no um, addiction, nothing, no high, nothing can satisfy. It's when he gives you rest for your soul. It's, that is a true, true freedom. I, I guess what happened to me on that, that night, I realised that my comfort had become more than just a need. I was raised in an environment that wasn't very secure and I had to live off my wits and rely on my own ability to stay safe at times and from a young age. And I, I learned to create my own little haven and my room or my bed. Sometimes I only had, didn't even have that. I remember when my parents were fighting and it wasn't safe for me, for us to be at home. My dad was in a bad way and had threatened violence. And I came home from school and we were, I had to go to sleep with, my mum was in the nursing quarters in Townsville and, and she, it was in those days they had single nurses quarters and they were very tiny rooms with one little tiny cupboard and single bed and, and my sister and I and my mum all slept in this room. And I remember sleeping on the floor and I had my bag and creating my own comfort my little space where I felt safe. So I understand this giant. I understand it well. And so there were times when I was in physical danger and, and God literally rescued me. That's I know he's my shepherd king. I know this stuff. <laughs> nobody, <laughs> nobody can tell me he's not real because he has literally rescued me. Over and over again. My parents, I loved them. They did the best they could. But they were very broken people. And they were in a, a very sad place. So when I become a parent, what do I do? <laughs> I try to create a little safe haven for my children. And I make sure all my little ducks are lined up in a row. And that, they, that nothing bad is going to happen on my watch. And so it became more than just a need and a requirement of any, any, you know, decent human being has needs, it became a giant that if anything disturbed or threatened to disturb our comfort or the comfort of my children, I would come out like a she-bear. And it was not 
not nice. <laughs> and, and so this is the kind of, you can see where I'm getting. It can become something way more. It can morph into a big hairy man, <laughs> you know, something that, that does need to come down. It's not, it's not what God intended. And, and then, of course, you can't protect your children. You can't create a home environment. Like I would get all my shells and I would get everything in its place in my home. And, and, and when everything was in its place, then I could be at rest. I could be at peace. But who knows? Life just doesn't work like that. And so I've had to give this to God. And I've had to give all those fears that we talked about. Anxiety stress and strain. These things had to go. And, you know, fear is also a giant that must fall. There are many kinds of fears. People fear all the weirdest things. Some, I saw a show the other day where these women were absolutely petrified of birds. <laughs> I'm not kidding. They were terrified of birds and fluttering and swooping on them. You know, there's all kinds of fears, fears of public speaking, um, you know, spiders and confined spaces and, and, you know, all sorts of things. These often start from a bad experience, something that's happened to us in earlier years. And, this, and God knows this and he wants you to be free. That's why these Goliaths must fall. And he went to great lengths. We read about it in Colossians. He went to great lengths to defeat them on the cross, the enemy of our soul, so that we could live. He made a public display of them, a public spectacle of them, stripping the enemy of this power over us so that we could walk in a freedom and the liberty of Christ. So we have this, this, um, this, these giants that taunt us. But faith is not the absence of fear, but courage in the face of it. I say that again. Faith is not the absence of fear, but courage in the face of it. And, you know, we used to say when we were younger, you know, we would, we would just keep serving God, but we were, we were excited and scared at the same time. <laughs> Scared because we didn't really know what was going to happen next or how, if it was going to work. But we took those steps of faith. Anxiety, separation anxiety was another thing that really loomed large over my life. And, and there, was a, um, there was a time that, that uh, often this happens to people when uh, there's a sudden loss. And, um, you know, and I had that, there was the sudden death of my father in tragic circumstances. And when you've had um, something, you know, traumatic, I guess it is, happen to you in the younger the years it happens to you, the, the more you need the victory <laughs> later on. And God knows that. And I was, I was quite young. I think I was about, um, I don't know, 20, I was about 15 or 16 but when that happened, but I can remember from that time on, when people, loved ones would go away, there was this fear that I would never see them again. When they'd get on a plane or Ross would go overseas, this battle would go on 
this battle and these taunts would come that, you know, you're never going to see them again, that they're going to suddenly be taken away from you. And I know that I had to fight that thing in the spirit. I had to fight it with the word of God. That was the only way. That was my way five smooth stones of truth. I will be getting to that. There are many fears. I've listed five, five here. And, um, you know, we have, it's, we, I'm trying to say that, you know, we will have these things because we live in this world and there are some horrible things have happened to people far worse than I've ever experienced and, and I don't want to be um, insensitive to your pain and what you've experienced. But I do know that in very, you know, there will be, in a crowd like this, there will be people that have experienced all kinds of things and the Lord is able to heal. He is able to restore our soul. He is able to bring us to those places of still water. His rod and his staff, they will comfort you and he, will, he just protects you no matter where you are. And then moving on, you know, rejection is another one um, that's a, a big, a big, um, a big bully, this one. <laughs> and some people have been, um, you know, bullied in school and taunted. And, uh, and this, this can take quite a while to get over. But I also know that God is faithful to, to really bring this down. Sometimes you yourself have been the bully and you've questioned yourself and thought, why on earth do I do this to people? Why do I feel the need to bully them and to humiliate them and to bring them down to size? <laughs> I think I've answered it. <laughs> it's somehow you see them as a threat. And I believe tonight that that, that giant will fall. If you give that to God, he will show you that you don't have to prove yourself. You don't have to be tough. You don't have to be. Some girls are far worse at this. That men, they can be able to see it, manipulate and bully and say the cruelest things, knowing that that will go straight into a person's heart. And it's this kind of bullying and taunting that reminds me of Goliath, you know, because it, it too can fall. It has to fall. It must fall in order for us to be able to see it for what it truly is. And to love that person, and, and it takes the, the sting out of it. You're able to say, do you know what? I love you, and I choose to forgive you. I went to a school reunion. It's a long time ago now. And I met a girl. We kind of hardly recognised each other. It had been a while. But I recognised her. <laughs> she was Queen Bee. She was Queen Bee of the cool girls in school. And for whatever reason, she hated my guts. <laughs> I don't know why I was the new girl. I was brand new. She didn't know who I even was, but she hated me. And she set out for the next few years, like years, to make my life hell. And so I did my best to, to get along with her. And when I, I couldn't... You know, like it says, as far as it's possible with you, get along with people. And, and so I did. But I, as best as I could. And, and the rest of the time, I just avoided her. And, uh, and that worked okay. 
sort of. When you're sleeping in the same dormitory in a boarding school situation, it's a bit hard to get away from bullies sometimes. She came up to me. I think it was about 22 years after we'd graduated. 25 years after we'd graduated from high school. And uh, she recognised me too, and thank God. And she, she said, I want to apologise to you. And, and, uh, and she was so sincere. It really blew me away. And she said, I was horrible to you in high school. And I, because I was a Christian and I had a Bible and they used to taunt me and call me the Virgin Mary. And like they, they were really nasty, <laughs> nasty girls. And, and, um, and so I, and she said, I saw you as such a huge threat that I just, I couldn't let it alone. And it has bothered me for years. And I'm so glad you're here because I am really sorry for what I did to you. And I just was blown away. But the good thing was I had forgiven her years before. I had forgiven her. And um, it's, it's kind of like when we, when we were running or swimming, like we were almost equal. And she did her best to always beat me. <laughs> she had to be the best. She had to be number one. But I, I didn't really care. But she was the measuring pole. <laughs> she was the best in the class at practically everything. And she, that was her giant. I have to win. I have to be the best. I have to be number one at everything. And so it was incredible. The freedom I felt being able to say, do you know, I forgive, I've forgiven you years ago and I could see why. I could see that, you, you know, you were really underneath all that perfection. She was the most insecure, frightened girl in the school. Even though she had it all, she was so insecure and so frightened. And, and I was able to tell her, look, I become a Christian. I'm actually a minister. This is at a Catholic boarding school. I was like, I've actually found God in a whole new way. And I was able to share with her of what God had done and how he had healed my life and given me a safe place so that I didn't have to rely on my own strength and my ability to create comfort, to create, to, to self-medicate in whatever way. I didn't have to create and protect the environment around me that I could trust him. Like you can too. Trust him to take control of your life, that he is at work in you because he loves you and he cares about what happens to you. And acceptance is all some, something we also all crave. And that Jesus was the most rejected and despised man. It says that he was, he was despised and rejected by people, a man acquainted with sorrow and grief. People despised Jesus, the most beautiful son of God. But we know that, that he did this so that we could have this freedom. So that these giants that loom large could come under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Anger is another one. Many angry people are hurting people. As I said before, there are things that happen in people's lives horrible. And, and I don't want to limit that, you know, that, that sense of feeling like I, I need justice. I need to avenge myself. 
this is a giant that must fall. <laughs> it is because God says, vengeance is mine. I repay and I have found he keeps good records. He keeps very good records. And I would much rather trust him with my reputation, trust him to take revenge <laughs> than to try to take revenge myself and come under all kinds of, come under all sorts of bondage. And, and to be able, you know, anger is a human emotion that is not wrong in itself. Jesus, him, Jesus got angry. He chased out the buyers and sellers in the temple. And he did it for the right reasons. And so do we. People have got angry for the right reasons and stopped slavery in England. People got angry for the right things and stopped child labour back in, the, back in the, the, ne- the last century. People got angry against ch- uh, people trafficking and have put steps in place to rescue girls and boys that are being trafficked for sex in other countries right now. Things are ha- people have got angry about people that have never heard the gospel, that have never had the opportunity to receive Jesus Christ and have gone to the other side of the world to do something about it. People have got angry and about the starving children in Africa and compassion was born. And there was, there's an, a solution, a practical help and a service has been, uh, was the result just as I, I draw to a close, there's five smooth stones that I want to mention quickly. We talked about the giants, the things that will come against us, but we come back with the word of the Lord. Just a couple of points that I want to leave with you. We're not fighting these battles ourselves. Jesus has already won the victory. He has already given us this victory. And we need to know that. But to know that we are never alone, that he is my comfort. Number two, he guides me and he protects me. This is from Psalm 23 and verse 3. That God has not given to me a spirit of fear or timidity, but of power, of love and a sound mind. He is my protector. I belong in his family. How great does the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. That's 1 John 3, 1. That deals with rejection and anxiety. And, and it, um, I'll just go on here. My avenger. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I trust my life into your hands. You keep good records and you are always with me. That's the the end of that psalm. It says that goodness and mercy pursue me and follow me and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. In Psalm 23, 5, it says, You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. This is the covenant relationship that we share in as believers. And every time we take communion, that little cup represents the cup of salvation. I talked about this this morning. Our Saviour King invites us to join Him at His table 
wherever that may be, one day we will join in the marriage supper of the Lamb and it will be a huge banqueting table and there your name will be for everyone who has received Christ as Lord and Saviour, the little name tag that says your name. But like I said this morning, that table is set for you in the presence of your enemies, wherever you are in your life. It may be just at the kitchen table. There he is. Meet with Jesus. It might be in the workplace. It might be on the job site when you're sitting on your esky and Jesus is there. Meet with him at that table. Why don't you stand with me? I'd like to sing that song, Kate, if we could, that first worship song that we sang. And I'd just like a moment to take a moment of response before we finish tonight. Your Goliath must fall. <laughs> My Goliath must fall. On, say it with me. My Goliath must, must fall. fall. Why? Because my freedom brings victory to God. Amen. Amen. Jesus has won the fight already. We can stand firm and follow his lead. The giants have no longer got control over me. I am free to follow Jesus and experience Him. Stay tuned for another exciting podcast brought to you by Bayside Christian Church.